Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 22, produced 21 December 2015. Tartan is ingrained in Scottish heritage, from the original clan tartans to fashion tartans, vanity tartans, corporate tartans, commemorative tartans, and so on. Hundreds of new tartans are created every year, but could you imagine a national tartan for Scotland? One that could be worn with equal pride by native Scots, by expats, by the diaspora worldwide, and even affinity Scots? One designer, relatively new to the tartan game, may have created just such a tartan. And we'll meet him and hear his and the tartan story here under the tartan sky. up in the mystic and spellbinding saga that is Outlander? Wishing you could be swept away over the sea to sky? Why not come and visit Claire and Jamie's world? It's a land of standing stones, shimmering lochs and great glens that stretch to the horizon and beyond. Outlander, whether in books or on TV, is Scotland. Come and visit the breathtaking landscapes, walk the historic castle grounds, listen for the skirl of the pipes through the thickening mists. You can travel through time when you visit and experience Scotland. One of the newest tartans to emerge on the Scottish marketplace is the Declaration Tartan, and it's selling like hotcakes on Facebook. Its colors are red and yellow, blue and white. It's meant to commemorate the Declaration of Arbroath, dated 6 April 1320, a letter from Scottish earls and barons in support of King Robert the Bruce and his battle for Scottish independence. The tartan is designed to portray both the royal standard of Scotland, the yellow and red lion rampant, and the blue and white Scottish saltire. Registered and made public in the run-up to Scotland's independence referendum, this striking tartan gained an immediate following concurrent with that surge of nationalism sweeping the country. It has only recently been brought to market in fabric form by its designer, Stephen Patrick Sim. A resident of Arbroath, Sim is a relative newcomer to the art of tartan design, His career path began as a graphic designer, creating product logos, company letterheads, brochures, annual reports, all manner of corporate branding. Then, inspired by his artist mother, he moved into painting, portraiture to be exact, and opened his own studio that he continues to operate today. About four years ago, he began to explore tartan and its creative possibilities, and has since designed 11 registered tartans. While some have gained critical and public acclaim, including his Red Lichtes Tartan, honoring his fellow residents of Arbroath, and the Bell Rock Tartan, honoring the world's oldest surviving sea-washed lighthouse off the coast of Scotland, none have shown the potential of his new Declaration Tartan. 
One tartan authority has already called it the most significant tartan he can recall. Quite an accolade for a designer who entered the tartan industry barely three years ago. Sims' story, and that of his declaration tartan, is one of creativity, exploration, and self-discovery. Could this be a national tartan for Scotland? Some observers, and Sim himself, think so. To tell his and the Declaration Tartan story, I asked Steve to take us back to the beginning, to when he first found an interest in Tartan. My interest in Tartan actually came about when I was I was online one day. I, I noticed Tartans were not just the old established clan Tartans that we're all familiar with. But when I realized that new Tartans were being created, I got interested. I thought, wow, so you can actually design a new tartan. I didn't realize that. It was just through, through, some, through some random um, traveling about on, on Google that I, I actually came across that fact. And that led me to look at the, the registrations for tartan that, that, were, um, that were actually established at that time. And um, when I saw that there was all these new tartans being produced, about 200 annually, as well as the old established tartans, it really got me, me interested. Um, and I, I got hooked when I realized how diverse tartans are. Tartans are. There's so many, they're, they're just, it's almost like an unlimited combination of colors and stripes and rationales. It was a medium that really excited me when I realized you could use that to create a new tartan, when, when I realized tartans could be nearly created and registered. So did you just sit down one day and say, okay, I'm going to take a shot at it and, and come up with your first tartan. And tell me the, a little bit of the backstory behind your first design. I just kept going back to it when I was uh, quite excited about looking at the different designs, the stimulated imagination. They were so diverse. Um, and having my own business, I, uh, I actually remember having a conversation with uh, a lad who was actually from the States. He was also visiting here um, and he he was visiting my studio one day, and he was keen on having a tartan designed for himself. And the idea stuck in my head. I wonder if I could design a tartan for this lad. Okay. And then I thought, well, how do you design a tartan? So I then started to do a lot of research on the internet. How does one do that? You know, if there's new tartans being registered annually, someone somewhere is designing them, creating them. The, they need to be registered. They need to be woven. That was a big, huge mystery to me. So I'd always been had this interest in tartan, but then the light bulb moment, can I design a tartan? And obviously having a background in fine art, and I knew I had the skill set to do it. I just, how do you do it? And, and that's when I went on this, this um, self, a self-taught self. You know, I, I, I went out there to see what are the rules? How does it, how does it work out? How do you create it? Is there software you can use? So there were all these um, rules that I had to learn and skills. Um, and, and, and the tartan register was probably the, the, the key source because it had a lot of, um, on their website, they list the requirements for tartan. So it started from there. Take us a little bit through the process then. How do you design a tartan? I mean, I've seen some of the online programs where you just pick your colors and you play with the line width, and then you go, oh, voila, there it is. Uh, something tells me designing a true tartan isn't quite that simple. Do you know what? You're absolutely right, and there, you're right. 
the, the whole, what really excites me about Tartan is it's the most simple thing. It's unbelievably simple when you understand how you design it. Um, like, for instance, a Tartan traditionally would have, um, I think it's four or five colours. I believe six would be considered the maximum that you would use. It's a simple thing, and anyone could, in theory, with no prior knowledge or understanding, or with very limited understanding, design a tartan, yes. But what makes a tartan, in my opinion, it has to have something strong behind it, the rationale behind the tartan. For me, that's what creates the tartan. It's not the the design, i.e., let's create a bonnie pattern. For me, it's what do you want to represent with the tartan? What concept that has significance behind it, that has an audience that would appreciate it, that um, that it could celebrate something significant or represent something? That's where it starts for me. Um, and, and unless you have that idea, that really strong reason for the tartan to exist, it, it doesn't matter how good the tartan looks, I think it could lose its weight or significance. For me personally, I think this idea is the first thing. If you don't have the idea, then the tartan, you need that idea for the tartan to really come about. I did a tartan called Earthrise. The Earthrise tartan was inspired. I, I, I've been someone who's been amazed with the, the Apollo lunar uh, missions. I was born in 1969 the whole journey to the the moon and I'm a science fiction fan, I love science and technology and space travel, NASA, love all that. And when I heard of the Earthrise, uh, we're all aware of the Earthrise photograph, it's, it's, it's the most famous photograph seen worldwide right. in, in this Ever. It's the most famous of all photographs, Earthrise. You'll, you'll be aware. Shot on the Apollo 8 mission, as a matter of fact. Jim Lovell's Apollo 8 mission. Yeah, exactly. That was the that was the famous photograph of Earth rising, rising above the, the um, horizon of the moon. Yeah, everyone's seen it. So when I heard, actually I heard of this Earthrise anniversary coming up well before it happened. And it was Christmas Eve last year. The, the anniversary, the 40th anniversary of the Earthrise photograph. And I suddenly had this inspiration. I thought, I have to do Tartan to commemorate Earthrise. And so I was inspired. It was um, during the holiday season, and I, I designed it. I designed the Tartan. And again, it was to create the image. I recreate the image of the Earth rising above the lunar surface in the Tartan. That was my whole goal. Um, and, and, and it does just that. You see the moon, you see the earth, you see the blackness of space, and there's also numeracy in the Tartan that represents the, the, the length of the mission and the number of astronauts. And um, you know, the whole rationale came about through this event that took place. So that's another Tartan that I've created and uh, produced. It's soon to be woven, hopefully next year I'll develop that. Um, there's also a tartan that, that, that celebrates Scotland's rainbows. Well, actually, it celebrates the rains of Scotland are weather, and in the form of the rainbow that appears in the sky when the the grey skies are lit by the sun when the rain falls. That reminds me of Scotland's weather. So that there's a, a fashion tartan I designed called Scotland's Grace, which represents the 
the rainbow, Scotland's rainbow, and its weather. Once the idea is there for me, how I do it, okay. I have an idea, something, come across something, maybe an anniversary of some major event or um, something of significance, and then I will visualize in my head what can, what elements could go in to make that tartan. A bit like a cake. You have a cake, but the cake can only come about by a recipe, and the recipe comes about by a list of ingredients. So you need your ingredients, the egg, the flour, the sugar, to make the cake. But you need that recipe, you need the reason for the cake to exist. Does that, does that make sense? You're actually addressing a, a, an issue that came up in my discussion on another episode with uh, Brian Wilton of the Tartans Authority, and, and he talked about yes. how Tartans, he, his approach sounds very similar to yours, that he always looks for specific design elements, and then those go into the creation of the Tartan. You, of course, have, I think, one of the most striking tartans that that i've seen and i mentioned it again in my discussion with brian and that is the declaration tartan that i know you recently brought to market let's talk a bit about that clearly there was a very definite inspiration behind the declaration tartan what is that well first of all before i talk about the declaration specifically i was want to explain for me personally as the tartan artisan that's the the name that i've adopted as a tartan designer i i feel that and what I like to do with my tartans, I like to get imagery in my tartan. There are a lot of tartans out there that are produced, and a lot of amazing tartans. You know, there's a lot of really excellent designers out there that are producing excellent work. And they will, yes, they will take a colour and it will represent something. These colours can make up the, the, the palette, different colours representing different elements. Maybe even numeracy as well. There may be a thread count different numbers incorporated in the tartan. But what I try to do, I try to create imagery in my tartan, an actual visible representation of some concept that is clearly seen. And when I, when I first started out designing tartans um, two and a half years ago, and actually registering them, I, I didn't actually consciously decide that's what I was going to do when I created the tartan to create a phys- an, an image represented in the design, but it just came about. It was like a natural progression. So it's when you design the simple geometry of a tartan, it's very simple, but you can play around with the colours and the way the colours cross over and the thread, the thread count to create an image. And I, I couldn't believe it when I could see images in the tartan. So not only do the colours represent something and the thread count represent maybe dates or numbers or, you know, like relevant figures that represent something, but there's an image appear. So the declaration, um, to move on to the next part of the question, I, I'm from Arbrose. I'm, I'm a red lady, actually, that's what you call yourself if you're from Arbrose. That's the nickname for people from this town. And the declaration of Arbrose is signed here in Arbrose in 1320, so it's part of our history as well as relevant to the whole Scotland, absolutely. I had, in the back of my head, I thought, let's, I think I should do a declaration of Arbor's tartan. But I, for two years I've been thinking about it and I never knew what form it would take until the approach of the referendum on Scottish independence, which was um, last year on the 18th of September. And in, in the run-up to that referendum, 
I was seeing flags everywhere. I was seeing salt towers and wine rampants and the Royal Standard appearing everywhere. And, and, and the, in my subconsciousness, I think I was seeing these colours, these flags. And it's relevant now. It's an ongoing issue of concern to many Scots. And either way, you know, if Scotland should be independent or not. And who knows what might happen in the future. But at that time last year, in the run-up to the referendum, it was this cry for freedom and for... Um, Scotland's independence, and it was connected with, in my head, it clicked. The Declaration of Arbor Rose was signed in 1720. Um, it was, um, you know, Robert, King Robert the Bruce had a major part to play in that. Um, and there's a strong Scottish history there, and the Scots are so passionate about their history. And um, the Declaration of Arbor Tartan suddenly clicked one day with me. Um, I think it should be a Tartan first and foremost for Scotland, not just for Arbroath. Very much coming from Arbroath's history and relevant to Arbroath, but it had to be a tartan that Scotland could be proud of. And, and that's why the flags popped into our heads, the, the, the red and the yellow, the blue and the white, and the tartan started to form from those elements. And the whole idea of imagery, uh, I was, I sat in my, um, you know, my drawing board and got my computer out and I started to sketch ideas and it stemmed from the flags, the, the two flags of Scotland. So that's what I hope to have achieved. I think I have achieved it. The two flags of Scotland and the whole story of the Declaration of Arbroath is woven through that, that pattern. I, it's, it's the strangest thing, but I actually feel that when I sit down and produce a tartan, it's almost like I don't actually design it myself. It's almost like um, I just discovered it. It's almost like it already exists, and it just needs to be revealed. And I say that because when I when I have an idea in my head, wow, that there's a concept. Yes, that could be a tartan. I then look to see, well, how would that tartan come about? So I get the idea first. Then I think, well, how would I represent that concept or idea in a tartan? So then I would look for reasons, reasons for colours, reasons for numbers, reasons for images. And those ingredients, I would try to find some connection, a strong connection with the rationale. So the, the rationale comes first. Then the ingredients or the elements that make up the tartan come after that. So... And it's always, I try to go for the most obvious thing, the most logical thing. And that's what then becomes part of that element, whether or not it could be a colour, it could be a number, it could be the proportions of two colours together, how they interact, um, or how two colours create a third colour and that could represent something. So so in a nutshell, it's like, it's like a, I see it like a sculptor who would say, I've heard this said, they would have this block of marble and inside the marble is this Greek goddess, say, that's to be revealed. And the sculptor would chip away and over time reveal this amazing statue. And they would say, it's always been there in the block. They've just revealed it. That's how I feel about Tartan. It's the weirdest thing. It's almost like it's always been there. It's just waiting to be discovered. That's how I feel with the Declaration. It's been sitting there waiting, well, not sitting there, literally. It's been 
waiting to be discovered. And, and I was the one privileged enough to, to discover it. Once you have the idea and then you've, you, you eventually settle on the design, bringing a tartan to market has to be quite an adventure. Give me a little idea of uh, how that progressed once you had settled on the design for the uh, Declaration Tartan. Yeah, well, certainly it's been, a, it's been quite a journey for me um, because I've done this all solo. I've had no one tell me what to do, how to do it, how to, to actually start out. I, I, just, I just found my way with instinct and the journey has been so enlightening and satisfying and um, so you're right yeah it's it actually to come you, ha- you have the idea you then take that idea and you design it in tartan it's a medium for me tartan's a medium so you use the medium of tartan to take the idea create the tartan the tartan then needs to be made official so there are many tartans out there that are pu- produced in software online that never even make it to the town register, I've noticed. And, you know, a lot of these could be put together so quickly by anyone. Some others maybe take more time, but they never make it to the register. But once it's registered, it has to meet certain criteria, it has to meet um, it's quite a strict set of rules and requirements that are noted on the reg- uh, town register website. But once it's approved, if you can make sure it's unique, it has to be a unique name, has to be a unique tartan. It can't look like any other tartan. So that's one of the two key areas. Then, if it meets that requirement, it's registered. Once it's registered, yes, you're right. Does it stay like that? There are many tartans that will never be woven. Um, I'll admit that I have currently 11 tartans that are registered. Some more ideas in my head for future projects. Not all of them are yet woven. Um, I think I've woven five of my tartans. I have every intention to go back and develop those tartans to, to weave. That was always my original hope, to create a portfolio of work that are all registered, official, meaningful, and woven. But, yes, it's a very challenging concept um, experience and quite stressful as well if you want to get it right, for me, anyway. Um, so once it's registered, yes, you want to weave it. To make it a woven tartan, in my opinion, makes it a real tartan. That's what people expect to see a fabric. Um, so it is a shame that many tartans that are registered never make it to the weave. I designed a tartan called Red Day, and it ultimately became the district town tartan for our bros. And at the same time as that tartan I designed and registered, I did one called the Bell Rock Lighthouse. It commemorated the lighthouse that stands off the coast of Arbroath, the Bell Rock, which is actually considered one of the world's um, seven industrial wonders of the modern age. And so it was its 200th anniversary, and I sell, I designed the tartan to celebrate that anniversary. So that was two tartans that I'd done, my first two, Red Listy, the Bell Rock, the celebrated Arbroath. Um, I wove those, I wove those up, um, had those woven, I should say, because when people saw them, they were registered. Suddenly, I noticed that people wanted the fabric. There was a need, for, a call for it. And suddenly, I realized, hang on a minute. I had started out thinking I was only going to do a tartan design service to offer this service to customers or to clients who would like a tartan design. That was my original thinking. And these were por- portfolio pieces. But suddenly, people were interested in were wanting to have a kilt made or 
have some garments made. So I suddenly had to think, yes, let's get it woven up. So I first port of call was to approach mills, see if I could find a mill that could help me to learn how you need to translate the design from a computer-generated image into a yarn, a coloured uh, dyed wool. You know, it's not. it was never just as simple as grabbing a red or a blue or a green or a yellow because the shade of the colour absolutely changes the design and it, it's a long process to try and get the right colours of yarn so that when they're woven into the tartan, they give you the effect that you wanted. And the medium of wool is not the same as a digital on-screen image. So it became quite a challenge. When I did the red listy, and I found a mill to help me, and I went to visit the mill, and went through the process of choosing yarn, they would send me... I actually went to visit the mill, and they showed me hundreds of colours of wool. So I would have my printouts of my tartan, and I would try to find the right red, the right blue, the right yellow uh, for that, that, that particular design but what that mill didn't do for me, they did not weave a sample up front, I had to run with the colours I'd chosen based on just seeing the swatches, the yarns ultimately the tartan the, the was produced it, it, it was fantastic, it really was an amazing tartan um, but there was a few little things that I thought maybe that should be in a slightly different shade Different, a darker colour here, whatever. So, you know, like a tweak. Um, and, and it was when I found another mill, um, Butte Fabrics, on the Isle of Butte. And they they had said, we'll hand weave a sample for you, Steve. You know, we'll take your yarns and we'll happily sit down and weave up a piece of tartan, just a small piece so you could see it. And when you are allowed to see the way the colours interact in a hand-woven sample, suddenly you've seen the tartan the way it's going to weave. So then you could say, no, that red should be darker, or this colour should be lighter, or that one should be more saturated, or this one should be more desaturated. And that process, when I came to then do the the declaration tartan, I'd really cut my teeth, as it were, on other tartans, the Bell Rock and the Red Listy, um, and I knew the process. So I think I went through about six, seven or eight hand-woven samples before I walked down the declaration to the right shades and colours. Once you know the colours of yarn and the thread count established because it's been registered, you still have to establish the scale of the set. The, the tartan has a set size, which could be determined by the thread count, but in many cases, different weights of fabric mean that the thread count needs adjusted to suit that weight. So there's loads of issues to get the scale of the tartan, the colours of the yarn, you know, etc., before you can get it woven. But once that's all locked down, the weave can take six, seven, eight weeks to be woven, finished, and then the, the, the tartan is available on the boat. And that's when you see it for the first time. And it's quite a challenge, quite a long process. But it's so satisfying when you see it. And to see the declaration that first day, and it was perfect. I thought, wow, I can't believe it. There was hundreds of hours I spent to try and produce this pattern, to get the colours right, and to make sure that the mill um, translated my design as I wanted it into fabric. And I've really learned so much. Um, and they've done an amazing job. All the mills are doing a great job. Um, 
it's just an amazing industry to be in. And so that that's then the fabric. That's the fabric ready to go to market to the next stage. That has to be a very satisfying moment when you see that tartan actually, as you say, begin begin to to roll off the weave and and be able to hold a bolt of that fabric. Yeah, well, for me, I mean, I, I'm sitting here with a shiver going down my spine as I think about this because what really satisfies me is the fact that what tartan represents. Tartan is there's an there's an audience that appreciates that tartan. It's like a clan, you know. Um, this is what excites me about tartan so much that it's such a simple concept, a, geom- uh, a geometric pattern that could be so simple. But if you get the concept right and there's a reason for it, a, a rationale that really excites people, and if you get the colours right and the visuals in the tartan and the, the the imagery in the tartan to represent that, suddenly you have an audience of people that are so compelled by it and, and excited about it and. And they feel like you've created a family, a clan, something to represent this um, clanmanship. And it has a power behind it. This is what really has hooked me on Tartan, that you can take this concept and you could create a Tartan and suddenly it has this awesome power behind it to motivate people. Um, They feel passionate about it and they feel, you know, this kindred spirit through the Tartan. That excites me. And on the basis of that, to get the tartan right and see it woven and see people's reaction, people, I'm blown away by how people love this declaration tartan. I can't, it astounds me. You see the fabric, you have it in your hand, and you're, wow. I mean, obviously, you realize you've struck a chord. You've got it right. But you still have to show it to the world if it's going to be something you're going to market as product. So how did you approach that? Well, I'll be honest with you, I am... Okay, you're right, I'm a one-man band. I don't have a lot of experience in retailing or tailoring. Or I'm an artist. I set a diesel and do, do portraits. That's what I've predominantly done. But suddenly, launched into this tartan business, the easy bit is actually creating the tartan, now that I think about it. That was the simple bit. The natural part of it was to create the design. To weave it was a challenge, but that was done. But you're right, to take it to market, this is the challenges I now have. And I'm kind of winging it. I'll be honest, I'm just going on instinct that Facebook for me has been a huge platform where people have watched this, the evolution of this particular tartan, they've seen some of my other tartans, there'll be more to come, but this declaration I think will be the flagship probably, probably sorry, the flagship tartan for me. So people wanted it and I thought, well, how can I go about doing that? I started off initially doing a, a limited edition print last year. I thought, what can I do before it's woven? And I printed up a limited edition, signed and numbered print off the tartan. I designed it and I published it myself. And people were loving this print. And that gave me the resources financially to weave it. And then there was lots of lads that were keen on looking kilts because I'm doing 100 numbered kilts initially, all signed and certificated um, because numbers are very relevant with this tartan. And so it's going to be a series of numbered and certified products. So the kilts came first and I had a lot of pre-orders. I think I had about 30 orders in just a couple of weeks. And these lads, they, they believe in what I did. They they um, booked the tartan, the kilts up front and, the, you know, the, the deposits, which allowed me to fund the weaving of the tartan initially. 
And um, so I had to go through that learning curve how to turn the tartan into a kilt. That was a learning curve to find a tailor, companies, I've used a few different companies now, how do you get the kilts made? And then you designed, how do you take the tartan, you designed, translate it into a kilt, there's different ways to pleat the kilt, to fab and um, manufacture the garment. So, to kind of summarize what you're saying, the tartan could go on hundreds of different products. There's tailoring into kilts, neckties, bow ties, you know, woven garments. It can also be printed onto products. I have a range of printed products coming. Um, you know, cutlery, um, dish, um, you know, earthenware, leather goods. It's just endless. Um, and that's my challenge. And I'm working through it. I've been releasing products all this year, um, one by one, and I'm building a brand. And I've got more challenges in front of me. But, but I, I'm taking on board, um, and I'm sure I'll get there. You've indicated in your Facebook that many of the products will be a run of 1,320. Is that a, a plan going forward that, for example, there'll be 1,320 neckties or 1,320 scars, and then there will never be any more? Would you shut down production at that point? Or are you going to do just simply 1,320 numbered, and then after that, it, it would just be a mass product? You know, just to reiterate, the tartan started from 1320. That was the whole origin point, that date. So I started with 13 red threads and 20 yellow threads. And from there it started. And it was when when I started. After that, I realized, hang on, this, this could become the flag of Scotland, the, the, the royal standard. So I then worked at the the other striping and trying to create the food leaves and the proportions of the flag. So, yeah, it started at 1320 and then it moved on to the second pivot, which was the salt tower, which is the white and blue. That was the obvious opposite pivot to the royal standard. So it clicked two pivots in the tartan, two flags of Scotland. So 1320 has always been at the heart of this tartan. And so... When I started to um, produce kilts, I came up with the idea, there's the famous quote from the Declaration of Argo, for as long as a hundred of us remain alive, why not do 100 numbered kilts? But I never thought I would ever limit it to 100 kilts because that would not make sense as a businessman to only do 100 kilts because you'd be out of business once you sold all the kilts. The idea was always to continue making kilts or license the kilts out to another company that they would never be numbered again, only the first 100 would be numbered and certificated. But as things progressed, as the bow ties came out and the neckties thereafter, the whole numbering idea, numbering the products, yeah, number them, but why not go to 1320? Why limit it to 100 numbered products? So it was quite a bold move for me. Could I cope with that? 1,320 numbered products? But as they're, as they're made to order, I don't have to make them all up front. So, you know, there, there is a strategy how I release them that's manageable. But just to finally um, finish this point, I've been told that no one has produced the tartan ever that is connected with a system of numbered products. There's such a strong reason for that. Um, so 1320 numbered products is definitely the way I'm going with this tartan um, in almost everything that I do. It will be a case of people acquiring 
license, um, certificated, numbered, authenticated products, each with its own unique number from 1320. Thereafter, once they sell, if I have that still, I will live long enough. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because let's face it, it'll take a long time to sell 1,320 ties. <laughs> you might be surprised. I have no you, idea. You might maybe, be surprised. Maybe, but, but after the first 1320 event and sell out, yes, I would still produce them unnumbered and uncertificated, still at the standard of the certificated products that simply no longer numbered. And so that that is how I'm moving forward with this tartan, which is quite scary, actually which is why I need the partners to help me develop this product, I think. Who knows, maybe someone will hear this podcast and uh, approach me. In fact, can I just say that? I'm, I'm open to any invitations for discussions regarding um, collaborations with this town. On your Facebook page, you've already released a number of products. I know you've done the bow ties and the flasks and the uh, the neckties, the uh, shawls and the scarves and the and the kilts, and, and I know there's more coming. I think this tartan has struck a chord, and, and you touched on it earlier during the run-up to, to Indie Ref. And, and independence, of course, as you said, remains quite the subject of discussion in Scotland and amongst the Scott diaspora around the world. Many of us uh, who have very strong opinions one way or the other on that. Do you think the swell of the independence referendum and that ongoing discussion, has that helped to buoy the success of this tartan? Absolutely, yes, without a doubt. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, it was never contrived in any way. I never, I, I never looked into the future and thought, right, here's a marketing opportunity. Let's create a tartan to um, be successful off the back of the indie the, the, the referendum. I never thought that at all. My passion started because I'm from Arbroath. I love Arbroath. I love the history of Arbroath. I love tartan. And I wanted to do a tartan to represent the declaration of Arbroath, signed in 1320. I've been wanting to do that for two two years, two years plus. Um, and it was the referendum approaching that just clicked with me that this town had to celebrate history first and foremost. King Robert the Bruce and the Scotland's ongoing fight for freedom, which is almost seven centuries now. And um, the, it just happened. It was almost like, I don't know, it's almost like there's some sort of force outside of me that's actually controlling me, or not controlling me, but motivating me. I'm just kind of going along with this process. It's evolving in front of my very eyes each stage of this tartan. But absolutely, yes, the, the mood in Scotland with um, its desire for more freedoms is split. <laughs> the, the country's split. A lot of people don't want independence. Um, a lot of people do. There's this 45-55 split. But it's undeniable. We can't, all Scots, we can't deny our history and the fact that this happened in 1320 and there was these wars of Scottish independence. Um, you know, it's a passionate, you know, we're, we're, we're passionate about our history. And I think that's what's at the heart of this tartan. Um, and, but it connects with the times. It also recognises the fact that there's this ongoing um, desire for freedom, more freedom, you know, and how that evolves in the future, who knows? But the tartan 
recognises the past, it's a timeline, it, it celebrates the past, it recognises the present, and it even looks to the future and the rationale, which is very important to me. It looks toward the 700th anniversary in 2020, all part of the rationale behind the tartan. I've actually applied for a trademark. Uh, the design is also patented. I, 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 I realise that this tartan is not going to expire. I realise that now. Um, Scotland's flags are never going to go out of date. Scotland's going to be passionate about its salt tower, its line rampant, its Royal Standard, I should say, Royal Standard Scotland, for, oh, forevermore. So I see this tartan as being, to connect with another point you made earlier, Scotland's clan tartan. It's like a, it's like a tartan for Scotland, for the family of our nation, you know, the Scots. It's, it supersedes, in my opinion, and I say this with humility, because I understand a lot of people were passionate about their own tartans, and I don't take that away from anyone. I love all tartans. I love all the clan tartans. But but this is a tartan to represent Scotland as a whole. Um, and I understand it's not going to go out of date. So I thought, I need to protect this, because I have to make sure that the passion I have behind it and the integrity that I have for this tartan, what it represents, I've got to keep protection with that. I've got to protect that, right? I can't allow it to be abused. So I've patented it as a, a design um, to protect the actual design with the Intellectual Property Office and I have a trademark in the works as well to protect the brand. And on that brand, I see it on hundreds of different products. I have plans for um, not just woven products, but printed as well. Um, I, I alluded to some of them before. Um, anything you can think of with tartan on it, I hope to at some point develop. And I might, I plan to find partners, business partners that would be willing to take a license, take on board a license to use the tartan so that I could find a company, companies that could produce the products and the quality I want to see with the tartan on it. I'm willing to do that. Um, I even have an idea for possibly a whiskey to collaborate with a, a distillery. And so that's something that's a potential thing that's in the, in the works as well. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of work behind bringing this to market, but I have some big ideas, big plans, and uh, I might have to take on board some help. I might need to find some someone to do marketing for me or product development. Um, and that's my challenge. I'm a one-man band here with a fantastic dream for this, this tartan and my other tartans. And that raises the question then, because I know, and just in trying to schedule this interview with you to find time for you to have a time to have a chat, I know you're swamped right now, especially pre-Christmas as we're recording this, in getting product out the door. When will you be able to set aside time then and continue to market the Declaration Tartan? As you say, hopefully its market appeal will expand uh, and continue to expand as more and more people discover it through various venues, including this podcast. But do you have the time or when will you have the time to set aside and and start to think about some of those other future projects? You say you have some ideas in mind. Uh, you got to find time at some point to sit down and go back to to your core work, which clearly is design. Well, I'll be honest with you. This, um, this declaration, Tartan, has consumed me for over a year. 
Um, and yes, I've done other patterns um, that I will not forget about, that I plan to to bring back to the foreground. Um, I, I do have a website I hope to have planned soon to be put together with my whole portfolio of work so that people can see each one that I've done. And, you know, um, I want to have them woven, of course, and products developed. But, yeah, I, I, I have other ideas, other patterns that I want to produce. Um, and I will, I will, I will be splitting my time. I will have to start getting passionate about those, and I'll be excited to do so. So, in an ideal world, and what I would hope to, what I hope to see for me, as a tartan designer, I would like the tartan artisan to be seen as a brand that encompasses a range of tartans, and each one having its own rationale and uniqueness and product range. And 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 I don't know. I might have to, if I could find a team, <laughs> if I could find a team of people that could see what I'm doing and believe in what I'm doing, and and let me just take my role as a designer and you know like the creator of these tartans, and then say, right here is the design. Now you take it on my guidance and uh, instruction, and take it to the next stage. I'd love to have a team of people that could could do that for me and, and then this brand, the Tartan Artisan be a brand and all those tartans be encompassed under that brand, the declaration being the flagship. I have so many other tartans that I I want to realise as well as those 11 that I have now and, and I will find time because um, I will definitely find time that some of them are already designed that just need to be registered and then we'll go through that process of even development. As you said, you have a passion for tartan. It is an iconic product of Scotland. And in my talks with Brian Wilton uh, of the Tartans Authority, he mentioned the subject of uh, plans that are underway now for a tartan center, a place that would be, I guess, kind of a combination, an archive, a historical archive, uh, a museum, if you will, a research center for uh, those interested in researching and learning about tartan and tourists who just want to come to Scotland and, and learn a little bit of the history, see the original, some of the, the older uh, original clan tartans, etc. I'm curious, what are your thoughts about uh, seeing the development of a tartan center uh, as a um, a worldwide icon of this product uh, within Scotland? I think it's an absolute must. I think it's essential that this happens. Um, Scot as Scots, in Scotland, we have such an amazing, an amazing heritage. And to, to have Tartan as part of that, we are so privileged. That, that it's such a, a motive and powerful uh, thing, you know, the tartan that we have. And, and it, it, it means so much to so many people. Um, it, it really needs to be uh, centralized in some form of um, center like that, I think. Um, it's, it's actually one of Scotland's biggest exports, which you'll know that yourself, um, as well as whiskey, of course. Um, I actually get quite a lot of people approaching me, asking me questions about their own particular um, tartans or heritage? Did they have a tartan? Can they can find it? Is there is it woven? You know that there may be a sept of a clan, established clan. They may they might phone me up and say, where can I find information to have this 
to source some fabric or um, just even to learn about history of their own tartans. There's a need out there for for such a centre, absolutely, to, to protect the interests of Scotland's tartan, I think, and, and to make it available to people, information. Um, I, I think it'd be an amazing an amazing uh, thing. I think it's uh, something that should definitely happen. My thanks, as always, to my guest, Stephen Patrick Sim. A few of his tartans are showcased in the show notes for this podcast. But if you'd like to see all of his tartan designs, you can search the Scottish Tartan Register. The link is in our show notes at www.underthetartansky.scot. Simply enter the name declaration and search. When that tartan appears, click on Sim's name as the designer, and all of his tartans will appear, including one designed for the 111th or the 111 anniversary of the teddy bear. Lord of the Rings fans will understand that inference. With this episode, we bring to a close 2015 for Under the Tartan Sky, launched some six months ago. This podcast is a spinoff of my original Scottish travel blog found at www.aglenandscotland.scot, and it's produced with no financial support of any kind, purely from my passion for Scotland and all things Scottish, and my desire to share that passion with you. I thank you for your support and your encouragement. If you've enjoyed what you've found here, please tell your friends about us. Until next time, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapalev, Agus Alapa, Gabra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. Learn more on our website at www.glennlmoyer.com. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. And while you're there, check out our online shop where you can buy exclusive Under the Tartan Sky logo apparel and other items. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol, Tartan Sky. And thank you for listening.